I'm back. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. His intro was so good last week. I feel like I had to like repeat it. So he was quoting Tupac, wearing fives, right? Juicy J brought the fire last week, y'all. Okay. Also, I feel like I need to justify that my shirt says prayer in action. And that's what Huli did during her intro. And that wasn't planned because we ain't cheesy like that. We just spirit led like that. All right. So here we go. Hey, I love this church. Love being in this room. Uh, I really do love where Juhan took us last week. I think it was super encouraging. I hope it was encouraging for your souls, but we got a lot of work to do in the text today, so let's dive in. Nehemiah 5 is where we will be, and just to continue to give us recap, what we see is Nehemiah, he gets this great vision from God, and in chapter 1, what you see is him cultivating that vision, and really what we looked at was how do you hear from God and begin to move based on what God tells you? In week 2, we actually see Nehemiah beginning to implement his vision, and what we looked at was, hey, how do you implement vision and grow in vision as you're moving in light of what God has called you to. In week three, we see all of those names that in your community groups you couldn't pronounce, all right? And there was a a terrible time for whoever volunteered that week to read, but uh, we see that everybody was involved. It takes this communal effort, right? And together with many different gifts and abilities and titles and peoples, we can do more than any individual person can do by themselves. And then last week, we saw how opposition in a lot of ways is actually to be expected when we're doing what God has called us to do. And so in some ways, we actually pause the building in chapter four to see the problem on the outside. But this week, we actually pause the building even longer to see that the problem didn't just exist externally, but it actually existed internally as well. Not everything was peachy clean as they were killing it for the king, all right? And so Nehemiah chapter five is where we are going to be. And I'm gonna have my friend Lori read that for us. Hi friends, my name's Lori and I'm a covenant member at The Well. I'm also part of the Wild Horse Mueller CG and the new uh, prayer team that's meeting Monday nights to intercede. Today we're going to be reading Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 through 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for the other men who have our fields have our fields and our vineyards. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Also, that had to be the best scripture entry video that existed, okay? And so if you're listening to audio, go to our Vimeo page and go look at what happened with Lori's kids in the background. It was great. Um, Hey, several things about this text, okay? First of all, uh, what we see here is that there's actually oppression that is happening in the midst of all of the good work that is going on here. The ultimate vision is beginning to be accomplished, but there are other problems that are existing beneath the surface that honestly are just as substantial. And so though the wall is being built, 
built that's actually going to protect them from the enemies on the outside that would come in and try to destroy their city or allow them to build and to be the community of God together. That is happening. It's half of its height, as we saw last week, yet there's this suffering that's in the inside as well. And Scripture is really plain in a lot of ways is that God pauses when people are hurting. In fact, you see that all the time in Jesus's ministry as he is moving towards something, Jesus pauses when he sees an issue and allows an interruption, if you will, to enter into his ministry because no vision is greater than the people that are right in front of you because people is God's mission. That is what God is wanting to do. No vision of God tramples people in the process. And vision is about the redemption of humanity. That's God's great vision for us. And so anytime you see the unraveling of humanity, you can be confident that that is not God's vision and that he would have us do something different about it. And so what we see here is that God wants justice to happen. Our our God is a God of justice where he makes wrong things right. And so what's the issue in this text? Because it may have been hard for us to read and some of the language it was put in. Really practically speaking, in verse two, they're like, hey, yo, we are Israelite people. And for us, what we would say is like, yo, we Christians, right? And you know how we be doing? We got them large families, all right? Like trying to be fruitful and multiply, know your husband, know your wife. We believe in the Song of Solomon this month, okay? All right, you feel me? And so, uh, but now we got all these kids and them stimulus checks ain't coming through. All right, that's what's happening here in this context, okay? Which a quick side note, by the way, look at verse three again. It says that there's a famine going on. So they're actually doing all of this building that we read in chapters one through four in the midst of a famine, y'all. They're trying to build the wall, restore Jerusalem, an already felt impossible task, all in the midst of a famine. And they just have an H-E-B just to roll up in, right? Like they needed the land to survive. These people, they were dedicated to the mission of God that was before them. And so just because the land around you seems to tell you that your vision shouldn't or maybe even can't happen, do not allow that to speak louder than the voice of God in your life. Do not allow the lack of money or time or famine to be louder than God's voice. God still moves in the midst of dryness, y'all. He's not hamstrung by the conditions of the world around us or even the conditions of the world within us. God is God, okay? He is stronger than what we see. If he's called you to do something, do it despite the difficulty, family. That's what we see here. Our vision can progress despite the famine or then the pandemic that we find ourselves in. You think about even our current situation as a church, we've been left homeless due to COVID, do not have a place to gather. And we've been trying to find some for a while and space after space continues to fall through and we long to connect together. We long to worship together. It's it's taxing, honestly. And so if you're a part of this family, man, please pray that we'd find a space to be able to meet together as the people of God again. And yet, despite not being able to meet, the mission of God is still going forward, y'all. The mission doesn't stop just because there's a famine going on, right? We had 21 baptisms in the past couple of months. Like, think about the reality of that, right? We are still planting churches. As you heard Juhan last week, we're still sending missionaries out, training people to go overseas. Our community groups are still multiplying. Discipleship is still happening where a lot of the CG shepherds are discipling those that are inside of their group. The DMIs that we just talked about and evangelism that is sparking up. Like, the mission is moving on, y'all, despite the famine that is around us. And so we can move despite a famine, right? 
shoot, I'm about to switch my sermon in this mug, okay? <laughs> Help him, Lord, all right? And so for our boy Nini, here's what's going on, right? There's injustice happening because of the famine, okay? Um, and listen, y'all, injustice, it tends to destroy mission, and we need to catch that. I hope you did not miss that, okay? Injustice, it tends to halt or destroy mission. The famine may not, but injustice does. And so Nehemiah has to now fix this issue that's going on before moving forward with the mission. Because look, people are having to mortgage their fields and even worse, you see there in verse five, some of them are having to move into debt slavery to just to eat and just to be able to survive. And it seems like the most vulnerable, the women are already being taken advantage of. Now listen, Please don't miss this, okay? Because in every other ancient religion and in every other ancient culture, we would not have stopped just because some women are being oppressed. That's how it would have read to them. It's just some women, so why even stop doing what we're doing? And yet the Bible stops and pauses at the oppression of women because the scripture was the only ancient religion and the Israelite people was the only ancient culture that honored women as equal participants in the kingdom of God. In fact, all of the movement that is amongst us today actually came because of the church, despite how the church has acted at times in its history. And the Bible, what it would do is protect those who are in disadvantaged situations, which was particularly women in that historical context. And so even here, you see God doing justice because our God does justice always. He is always protecting and providing and trying to undo the systems of oppression that come upon other people. Justice is God's throne, y'all. And justice is what God does because he is a God of of righteousness, and he moves out of that. You see, it's recorded in the Bible to show us that God cares. God cares about us when we are oppressed in different ways, and godly people should also care when people are hurting. Now, notice again in verse one, if you go back up to the first verse in here, it shows that women were actually the one that brought up this protest, once again, honoring women, okay? And so Nehemiah, though he is a governor in a lofty position, will actually learn in verse 14, he actually listens to these women because he's a godly man. Look, you and I can't just hit up our governor right now and be like, hey, yo, Abbott, I mean, we, we got a problems, right? And yet here, somehow, these women who were not seen as lofty in society somehow found the ear of the governor, and the governor listened to them and then moved on behalf of them because Nehemiah is a godly man. He's an unbelievable leader, and the Bible, which Nehemiah believes in, honors women as co-heirs in this life with us. And so this is what Nehemiah then moves out of. Now, the wives were the one that brought up the issue. You see there in verse one, right? Now, why highlight the wives, okay? Why not just say people or even just the women in general? Why specify that it was the wives that were bringing this up? Well, part of it in a plain sense is that their kids are actually being the ones that are uh, impacted by this. But in other senses, I believe that they actually represent the church in that way. We are the wife. We are the bride of Christ now as the people of God. And that means the church should be the ones that are seeing what is wrong in the world and bringing it to light and also doing something about it. Just like the wives here saw what was wrong in the world, brought it to light and asked that something would be done about it. We as the church, the wife of Christ should be the headlight towards the injustice, not the taillight. Showing what is wrong, not reacting when we 
see a wrong because we know the God of the scriptures and we know what is right and what is wrong because of the scriptures and we move on that behalf. And so mission, it stops, rightly so, because there's severe injustice happening and God's people do something about societal injustice, a la our Justice and Mercy series just this past fall, right? By the way, if you do not like the uh, topic of justice, you do not like the Bible, by the way, because only from a privileged position can you read the Bible and not see how it is vividly and powerfully and repetitively pointing us towards justice because our God is a God of justice who brings justice and who calls his people to act with justice. And we see this in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is responding to this because he loves the scriptures, y'all. He's responding to this God of justice. So there's these systemic issues that are going on because they're actually charging interest, which is then leaving people in this system of poverty, which is actually why God spoke against it in Exodus because he didn't want systemic issues to plague his people. In fact, that's why he instituted the year of Jubilee to release all debts, to create freedom amongst everybody, to unravel the systemic issues that could have come up in that society. But they were not doing that. So now there's systemic issues that are plaguing God's people. And now the issue has been brought up. And so what happens, okay? What does Nehemiah do about it? Well, that's what we'll read in our next section. So pick it back up in verse six. I'm gonna have my brother Austin, uh, the second person to say yes to our church plant. The first one is right there in Huli, okay? Uh, He's gonna read that for us. Hey, everybody. My name is Austin Dierdorf. I'm a covenant member at The Well, a proud member of the Arboretum Community Group, and I have the privilege of serving as a community group coach for some of our wonderful shepherds. Today's scripture reading will be from Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers, that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. This is the word of the Lord. Our boy Nini was like, I'm ready to throw them hands because that's what happened, right? Try Jesus, don't try me. You catch these one-twos, okay? I'll lay hands on you in a spiritual sense and a physical sense. That's what he said here, okay? He was angry, right? And rightly so. Injustice should make us angry, y'all. It isn't what the kingdom will look like. Now, what we do with that anger is another issue because sometimes people act immorally with the anger that they have and then they think they're justified because there's something wrong and they feel like, oh, now because there's sin here, I can sin. 
sin, okay? It is okay to be angry. You do not sin in your anger. Whole other issue here, right? But anger is actually an emotion that shows us that things are not as they should be. In fact, look at verse nine there. What you see is justice is not just a human issue and how humanity is being treated, but for the church, it is a spiritual issue as well because they were making God look bad in front of the foreign enemies because injustice is happening even amongst the people of God. It was actually staining the reputation of God. Now, it's one thing for injustice to be in the world only, like we saw in chapter four. It's a whole other thing for it to be in the church, y'all. And what could happen is this could prevent outsiders from wanting to trust in God and to be healed of the ultimate injustice, which is a spiritual injustice, a separation from God. This though, the injustice amongst the church on earth may actually prevent the true injustice and may lead them to not want to follow God because of the ills that they see inside of the people of God. They may then distance themselves from God and therefore miss true healing and having the greatest injustice and done. And that's why we care about it as a church, not just the blessing of people. It is literally an evangelistic tool or a gospel barrier if we are not careful with this. We see very clearly that it was staining the reputation amongst outsiders. And the same is true in the church today, y'all. The church be wilding sometimes, right? Like some of y'all need to go take a nap or get off Instagram or something, (laughs) by the way, okay? And listen, now what I'm not saying here is that the world is always going to agree with the church. That's not what this text is saying. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, if the world does always agree with you, then you are not serving the God of the Bible. You are serving the God of the culture. And that God can't save you. That God will not bring you the joy that you are looking for. The Bible will naturally grate against the culture at times. However, when we are not living up to biblical commands or when we are overemphasizing one command at the expense of the other because we don't know how to do holistic exegesis, then what happens is is we should feel burdened because our actions can actually be a negative influence in the kingdom, y'all. Y'all tracking with that? Yeah. Yeah? Like this is important for us to understand. In fact, in Romans chapter two, verse 24, it says that the name of God is blaspheme amongst the Gentiles because of you. Paul says, look, the name of God is spoken negatively amongst those who do not know God because of you. This is happening all throughout church history even. The church should be the headlight, not the taillight. And we should be showing the world what could be even as an evangelistic tool to the world, which is why when people say things like, well, just preach the gospel, I'm like, yeah, that's true. The full gospel, right? The good news that Jesus did not just come to make us right with him, but that he is also making all things right. And that one day he's going to restore all things and that we should be about that business even right now, y'all. That is the gospel, right? And so to not or to do good with no gospel message does no help at all. That's not what we're talking about. That just makes people comfortable on their way to damnation, okay? But to not give the gospel message and to only do good is the exact same reverse. And then to only give the gospel message and do no good is also ill, y'all. There's ills on both sides. We are to be a people who preach truth and who live truth and who bring the kingdom on earth. And so what Nehemiah begins to do is he begins this process of restorative justice to bless God's name and to bless God's people in that sense. And he makes him restore all the things that were lost, all the interests, all the land 
understand everything, is what he does here. And so before finishing the mission, he then begins to create restoration and fix the wrongs in the world. In fact, somewhere between starting the wall and finishing the wall, which only took 52 days, by the way, so this is all happening in less than two months with an army that is coming upon them. We just learned in the last chapter, he's still trying to bring forth justice. Look, he could have easily been like, hey, yo, like, let's finish this wall first and then we'll deal with these issues, right? Or he could have made it not his problem at all, like a lot of us do with injustice, because he wasn't doing it, so whatever, it ain't my issue, right? But, but, and not actively participate. But come on, Nehemiah begins to move in light of all of this. Or Nehemiah actually could have seen it as an interruption to the vision and mission that God had given him. But this is not an interruption because Nehemiah's vision was the blessing of God's people and this was the anti-blessing to God's people. And so he realized this not as an interruption, but as an addition to the vision that he's already been given. And he begins to bring justice in the midst of that. Are y'all tracking with that? I need more verbal proclamation in this mug, okay? Nehemiah has a hard heart for God, a burden for what God cares about, and a burden for God's people. And he moves in light of that. And so you are always going to see injustice, by the way, as an interruption if you do not cultivate a heart for God's people. Let me say that again. You will always see injustice as an interruption if you do not cultivate a heart for God's people. Nehemiah, he realized what they were saying in verse 5 was right, that they were kinsmen. They were brothers. The flesh is like their flesh. This sounds very Genesis 2-like, the flesh of my flesh and the bone of my bone. We are all a part of the same body is what Nehemiah realizes. Our hearts move towards righting wrongs when we realize that they are actually a part of our body as well and that everybody is made in the image of God and to bless an individual is actually to bless God himself in a lot of ways as we see Jesus proclaiming as we give water to the least of these so we are doing to him. And Nehemiah realizes that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. If there is hurt, I do something about it. And we often lack justice because we lack rightly seeing Christ in others. And we actually lack seeing us in others even. I know this is true even in my own personal story as I thought about my upbringing even this week of being born into a system of poverty in a lot of ways. And because of us being on food stamps and and us being nearly homeless at times and, and us always having government assistance and all of these little things, like there were all of these systems that were actually set up that both provided at times, but also could have got me stuck in that culture. As I see it in the world around me, there are about four people from my 500 people high school who kind of made it out of that in some ways. And there was all this stuff that was going on. And yet, because by God's grace in my life, there were people that came in and began to execute restorative justice, even just in small ways at times. Really, it helped me out of that in a lot of ways and allowed me to receive that blessing to hopefully then go be a blessing to others as well. 
Now, what I'm shocked at in this passage is actually how quickly everybody responded, though, right? I mean, Nehemiah is like, do this, and they're like, yes, sir, okay? Like, immediately. I'm like, how you do that, right? Like, give me some of them Jedi skills, okay? Shoot. There's a reason I think that they responded like this, and what we see in Nehemiah is actually a picture of generous justice. So he didn't just see the wrong and say something. He actually saw the wrong and did something. And so that's how we're going to end our passage today uh, with the last few verses. I'm going to have my friend Nanisha read that for us. Pick it up in verse 14, Prim. Good morning. My name is Manisha Koshi. I'm a covenant member at The Well and also part of Sola CG. Today I'll be reading from Nehemiah 5, 14 through 19. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, so let's not get it twisted, okay? Nehemiah was privileged, right? Like my man was personally feeding 150 people foreigners um, on top of those 150, eating ox and lamb and drinking all sorts of wine, all from his budget, it says, right? Like my man's had greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, (laughs) ram, hog, chicken, turkey, rabbit, you name it, right? Like, and Nehemiah was loaded, okay? But he was also generous in the process, not just towards those men who he enjoyed life with, but look at the triple mention of something in verses 14, 15, and 18 there. You see, Nehemiah, he wasn't acting like the other leaders, like the former governors. In fact, Nehemiah, he begins to be the picture here of fulfilling vision while also doing justice and finding a way to blend those two things together. Because first of all, he was the governor. He could have taken this allowance and there was nothing wrong with doing that, but he didn't because of his love for the people. He saw their state and he did not want to take uh, advantage of them. And so he began to build. And then look at what it says there in the text. He persevered, it says, in building personally, even building at his own expense and having his servants build in the process as well. He was doing the best that he could in the process of completing his vision to not further injustice at the same time. He was sacrificially living and sacrificially giving to the people, really giving up his privilege as a part of the process for the sake of others. In fact, he made their problems his problems is what we see there. 
Bible is profoundly justice-driven, y'all. And that's part of the vision of making the world right. In fact, that's part of the Wells mission and vision. Even in our desire to plant 100 churches and to do that nationally and internationally, the reason we want to plant churches is because we believe that a church in their neighborhood is able to see the issues that are in that neighborhood and bring both physical blessing upon that neighborhood and spiritual blessing in a greater sense upon that neighborhood and to do justice in the midst of all of that. Mm -hmm. And so what Josh is able to do in Southeast Austin at Refuge Church, we may not be able to do as well. And so he does it and he also proclaims the gospel, the greater injustice in the process and tries to create holistic healing and unity. And that's why this is part of our vision as a church is to plant churches because we actually believe that that does justice. In fact, it expedites justice coming on earth in a lot of ways. This is true of our church, but it's even true of your vision personally, friends. And whatever the vision God has given you, even over the past few weeks maybe, I hope you realize how there are probably aspects of justice in the midst of all of those things. Like you think about something like maybe God's calling you to love your family well right now. You realize you haven't been spending as much time with your kids and you want to spend more time with your kids. And this is the vision that God has given you. You do realize that that is justice driven, right? Because see, you loving your kids is going to help them see what a good mother, what a good father looks like. It'll probably help aid them as they grow up to not go into the world and to begin to act out in sin because of the parent's absence in their life. And when they're acting out in sin, they further injustice in their own hearts and in the hearts of others around them. But because you are loving them well, you're actually helping them walk in righteousness, which will automatically produce justice in the process. And so even in these little things that we may not realize actually brings justice, they actually do because vision that is from God involves his plan to restore creation and his restoration of creation is justice. It is the making of things right, sometimes in major ways, like the Justice and Mercy series that we talked about, but sometimes in felt smaller ways, okay? Felt is the key word there. They're not smaller if they're from God, okay? We can be tempted to really want to fix everything as well in the process, but small impacts make deep ripple effects in the kingdom, as we've been saying, y'all. And so do what God's called you to do. You may actually be bringing more justice than you realize. A, A mustard seed moves mountains, okay? And so we act in obedience. And regardless of what our vision is or even the church's vision, God's people, when they make wrong things right, even at their own expense, it glorifies God, y'all. And we're called to restore. It's a very God thing, in fact, and to do it in abundance as well, even as we see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah's motivation you see here in this text is actually a love or a fear of God, what you see there in verse 15 and 19, and a love for God's people you see there in verse 18. And this is always what drives and sustains our vision against oppression, against opposition and seasons where it feels like a famine and is dry. It's the great greater vision that we all share, which is to love God and to love people. And Nehemiah, he actually carried this out really, really well, okay? Now, within all of this, y'all, I want to zoom our eyes in on verse 10 because we could pivot the sermon here and say, now go do justice, all right? Go act with mercy. Go go be about changing the world. And we'd be like, yeah, let's be like Nehemiah, okay? But I think we'd be missing the thrust of Scripture in the process, 
In verse 10, I think it's huge because I actually believe this is why the people trusted Nehemiah so much. You see, Nehemiah, he cares for these people really, really well, not just in that he gives generously, he actually goes further than that. He actually accepts their responsibility as his fault. You see there in verse 10, notice how he changed the word them or whatever to the word we, and he begins to accept responsibilities here. You see, at times we don't do justice because we feel like we're innocent, right? Like, well, I never owned any slaves. Okay, so is there injustice happening right now? You see, Nehemiah never did any of this. We just read verse 18. He said he didn't do any of this stuff, right? And yet, even though he did nothing wrong, he assumed their guilt anyway, y'all. Such an incarnate leader that he saw the church's problem as his own problem as well. He assumed their guilt and then naturally did something to provide both in words, we see in verses 10 through 13, and in actions, we see in verses 14. 14 through 19. You see, a lot of our justice, we actually only give words on Instagram, but then we move our hands none to action. That wasn't Nehemiah's idea of justice, okay? Or we move our hands, but we never say anything with our mouths, and both of those are actually lacking. Nehemiah, what he did was he saw a wrong, he assumed it on himself, he spoke against it, he acted against it, he began the righting of the wrong, and then he continued in the vision that God had originally given him, probably using this as a motivator towards that vision in the process. And honestly, y'all, Nehemiah, in doing justice, is a marvelous picture of Christ our King, Gosh, I hope your hearts worship Christ in this moment as you begin to realize how Nehemiah is pointing us towards something greater. You see, Nehemiah, though not taking any land, he assumed the guilt of the wrongdoers to help create a seriousness about the issue and to liberate the oppressed at this moment. Jesus also did nothing wrong, and yet he assumed our guilt that much more, y'all. Not just in verbiage, though, like Nehemiah, Jesus literally became sin that you and I I might become the righteousness of God. He assumed our guilt, even though he did nothing wrong. And look at this passage, just like the people, they were stuck in bondage. So we too were stuck in bondage and could not get out of sin. And we could not deliver ourselves. We were enslaved in that sense. You see, Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who actually delivers us from that slavery into freedom. Nehemiah, he brought justice and delivered people from very real earthly problems, but Jesus delivered us from an even more real spiritual problem and an eternal problem to bring us into eternal joy. In fact, in this story, in verse five, they were giving up their children to save their lives, but they were doing this out of desperation. They were giving up their children because they were dying. God gave up his child because you were dying because we were dying. He was not desperate, we were, and he gave to us anyway, right? Nehemiah, he also, he didn't need to help. He was rich, like we just saw. He wasn't even doing anything wrong either. And yet out of compassion and a desire for justice, he went to fix the wrongs, which is part of God's plan. Jesus was also rich, and Jesus also did nothing wrong, which means he did not need to help. Yet out of compassion and justice, he moved to fix the wrongs 
anyway because he loved the Father and he loved the people. Just like Nehemiah wept over Israel, so Jesus weeps over you, the Father. He loves you. He wants you in the kingdom. He wants you to come close. Nehemiah, he gave back to those who were in bondage what was taken from them, but Jesus gave back to us what we took from him. You see, this land was originally theirs and taken. Nothing that we have in a spiritual sense is ours. And we took it from Jesus and he gives it back to us anyway because of his affection for us, y'all. This is generous justice. This is the greater picture. In fact, Nehemiah calls the priests to be shaken out and emptied if they break their promises. Jesus never broke any promises and yet he was shaken up and emptied. Literally, the earth shook when he was crucified because he took our our guilt, y'all. We are the ones that broke the promises and he came down and he assumed it because he is the picture of generous justice. He is justice and mercy merged together and then calls us to act on that behalf. In fact, Nehemiah ends this passage in a, a phrase that we usually don't like saying, right? He said, hey, remember me because of the good. Nehemiah wants to be remembered because of the good that he did. Remember me because of my good. Jesus says, because of my good father, remember them. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. I'm ready to throw something. Shoot, I got nothing to throw, okay? Listen, we do not deserve this generous justice, y'all. And yet he gave it to us anyway. And this is now our call as we are like Christ to the world around us to assume issues, to fix the wrongs. When things get risen up to the surface to begin to move on behalf of God and to act like his agents on earth. The church also hasn't always been great at enacting justice in the world, showing the world what the kingdom come would look like. And so while we are building as a church, I pray that we would always be a church that does justice and righteousness, realizing that as part of the building process, that as part of bringing the kingdom come, that we would not just be noise, but that we would be beauty. Yeah, that's what I want our church to be. And so do you see how your vision actually could be a part of accomplishing justice on earth? If you realize it, you may move towards your vision with more zeal because you're realizing you are bringing the kingdom and a part of that process in small ways or in big ways. Do you see how our church's vision is a part of bringing justice to earth, healing things spiritually, helping people physically, whatever it may look like, and that mobilizes us towards vision when we see justice in the process. This is part of God's redemptive plan, y'all. And so my easy takeaway questions for us today is, hey, do you care about justice? Like, do you care about it? Does it move your heart? Do you desire to see things be made right? Where spiritual souls are getting saved and coming into the kingdom of God, where physical bodies are being made whole, where the kingdom comes on earth as it will be one day in heaven. I pray that we would always be that as a church and that you would always be that as an individual and that you would realize that whether it's loving your child right now or just not cheating at your job or whatever it might be that you are a part of bringing justice, y'all. Listen, we can never fix everything because we ain't Jesus, okay? 
but we can fix some things because we're his church and we are empowered by Jesus to move on his behalf. And as our mission runs ahead, would it always include God's people? Can you see how what God is speaking to you, maybe aiding it, y'all? Move in light of that. He is a just God. Ultimately, I pray that we'd forever be a church that loves God and that loves people and that glorifies God. And part of what glorifies God is acting like him, which is bringing justice because we serve a God of justice. Let us love our neighbor as ourselves. Even this week, let us consider how we can right wrongs. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, thank you, thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you for being the greater Nehemiah. You fixed what was wrong in me and what is still wrong in me, you're still fixing you're patient, you're gentle, you're bringing justice into my own heart. All of the sin that would want to land me in slavery, you are creating freedom and you are doing it even at your own expense. Holy Spirit, right now, as I grieve you in my own heart, as I reject your voice at times, you are patient and you continue to right the wrongs, even in my own soul. That's true of everybody who believes in you. You're moving on our behalf. Thank you for that internal justice, that spiritual justice that is making things right. God, I pray for those listening who do not know you as God. They've never entered into relationship with you. I pray they would see that's the greatest injustice on earth. We can fix every single thing that is wrong on this world, but if we do not know how to be connected to you, we are separated from you for eternity. And yet, Jesus, you came and you made a way. You love us, you bring us into relationship with you. You do the greatest act of injustice away by your blood, Christ. And if we believe in you, we receive it and we will be forever restored. And then you also move to redeem all of earth. And I thank you for that. You're a powerful God that can do both of those things. And so God, I pray that for those who do not know you, they would receive you as God. Their souls would be healed. That even right now, friend, if you do not know Jesus, that you would invite him in. That you would say, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to understand you. I want to be a part of this mission. I want to join this journey in making earth right in every way that I can. That if you feel your brokenness, know that you have a Savior who cares. And God, for those of us who have accepted you as Savior, we have confessed our sins. We have asked you to to dwell with us, that we would be your people, that you would be our God. I pray that we would do two things even this week, Spirit of God. Would we move our lives towards holiness, realizing that sin brings injustice, all forms of sin. It never brings wholeness. So would you move us towards holiness that we might bring justice in our own heart and in the people around us? That we would act in righteousness, which brings your truth and your favor and your goodness. And God, I pray you would also help us to see how vision in our life right now is actually a part of you executing justice on earth. God, that whether it's preaching the gospel, 
serving the church in certain ways, loving our family, even just reading the word more so that we understand you're a God of justice and then we move on light of that. Whatever you're calling us to right now, God, I pray that we would do that and that you would even show us, Spirit of God, how that is a part of you redeeming the whole so we could be encouraged by that, so that we can continue on in vision so that whether the enemies come from the outside like last week, or we see the problems on the inside, that we don't grow discouraged in the process, but we see how you are moving us towards something greater. God, thank you for letting us be a part of your redemption of humanity. Thank you for my friends in this room who are a part of my redemption, who through their friendship, their accountability, their love, their rebuke, their encouragement, is actually bringing justice to my own soul. Pray we would always be that for one another, that we would do justice, that we would walk humbly, that we would bring mercy to those around us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being our Savior. I pray that even as we move into worship right now, that our hearts would worship you, the God who fixes everything. Thank you that one day you'll fix everything. Until that day, let us be about that as a church and as your people. Pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.